Welcome to another episode of the Red Arrow Health and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, Marco, along with my lovely co-host... Jessica! How's it going, sweetie? <laughs> it's been a long week. Aren't they all? They're all starting to sort of blend together. Every day feels like a Saturday. A Saturday with very, homework and... very disappointed when I wake up and the children swarm around me and they all have 85 questions already about homework assignments first thing in the morning. And oh, and the oh. three-year-old has figured out how to open her door and open everyone else's doors. So she's going around waking everybody up. Yeah, that's great fun. Oh, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, because then we have a cranky seven-year-old and a cranky nine-year-old and a cranky ten-year-old. With a ten-year-old, she woke me up at 8.30 this morning. <laughs> I'm like, kid, it's a school day. It's homeschool. No, it's e-learning. It's different. Oh, <laughs> life is so rough in the age of Rona. It is. It's very hard. Oh, it's not fun, but uh, we're making do just like everybody else is making do. You know what? It's a good reason to drink. Indeed. I think we're definitely killing that part of COVID. Oh, yeah. Uh, what are you drinking tonight? I have the world's tiniest glass of classic demi-sec from Tabor Hill. Nice. What is de- classic demi-sec? Because they have two, actually several demi-secs there. Do they? They have a red and a white to start. Well, hmm. um, it's a white. Nice. A little bit sweet, a little bit dry. It's absolutely perfect. So like a little country, a little rock and roll? Mm-hmm. Nice. Cool. And what are you drinking tonight, Marco? I'm having a beer. Uh, I'm having a Michigan beer. It's actually Lake Michigan Light by Round Barn Brewery, which is the sister brewery, winery, distillery to Tabor Hill. Yay, we match. Yeah, we match. Both Michigan products. And you know, to be a rebel, though, I'm drinking it out of a Watermark Brewing Company glass. Oh, no. Wow, just trying to give a love to all of them. Does Tabor Hill sponsor us? Absolutely not. And does Round Barn sponsor us? Absolutely not. And does Watermark sponsor us? No way. No way. Do we have a Watermark uh, sticker on our beer fridge out in the garage? Yes, we do. We have everybody's sticker on our garage. We like to collect them as we travel around. Yes, we do. Uh, You know, and tonight it's a bit of a twofer. Uh, So today is, well, technically this afternoon, we kicked off spring break. Yay! Yeah, it would have been more exciting if it was actually a break. Yeah. Uh, quarantine at home, not really quarantine, it's stay at home, stay safe, shelter in place, whatever they're calling it, the marketing spin on it. Yeah, we're stuck at home, just like everybody else. So to kind of liven it up, and we had some friends who needed a little mental health shot in the arm, we created a virtual spring break trip for the parents online where we put out a bunch of cocktail recipes and drink recipes that correlating to various countries. And states. And states. Because uh, you know what? Some states probably need a passport to go to. <laughs> Not literally, but boy, it sure feels like it in terms of culture shock. Uh, and just to keep the, the gimmick going and have fun with it. Not you know the drinks are not always um, technically correct culturally to the different countries, but they're funny. So uh, really, just trying to lighten the mood and you go to the country, have a drink, snap a photo, post it to the uh, Facebook group amongst the group of friends, and they're mostly all parents of kids that go to a school with our kids, and there's a few others who are just our friends from when we were growing up. We all have school-age kids about the same age. We all could enjoy a happy hour, especially this next week. Yep. 
And for Michigan, it was to have a Michigan beer and do a Tim Allen impersonation going, Pure Michigan. <laughs> Pure Michigan. Are we sponsored by the Pure Michigan campaign? No, we're not. No, we're not. Well, we live there and it was funny. Uh, we did a few others today, too. Uh, Mexico was a, you had a, it was the Mas Tequila. I have a couple shots of tequila. Yeah, that's pretty tasty. Well, we, I mean, we didn't shoot them back like shots, though, because it no. was good tequila. Yeah. Sipping tequila. Sipping tequila. And then uh, for for China, it was the Rona. So, Corona. which was a Corona beer. I like that we took the picture in front of our giant bamboo bush. Yes. Yes. But, uh, so yes, not culturally correct uh, to the cuisine and the beverages of uh, the nation. But, uh, you know what? Everyone's got frustrated and it's just, it was funny. It was a bit of humor that in this thing where you're getting a virtual passport stamp, we virtually traveled to China and while our on our virtual trip, we found the Rona. <laughs> Corona. And it had Lyme. It did. Yeah. Just to be totally totally clear, does Corona sponsor this? No. No. Does coronavirus sponsor us? No. That would be awful. That would be awful. It's a little weird. Uh, so virtual spring break is underway. So, but except for now, we don't have e-learning for the kids for a week, which they were doing a little happy dance tonight. But it's like, what are you guys going to do all day to keep you busy? Because we're behind on getting stuff done, trying to help them with e-learning. Yeah, I think we'll be doing a lot of science experiments and art and arts and crafts. I think we need to stage some photos because the first grader has Flat Stanley to do. Oh, that's right, Flat Stanley. Maybe print off some pictures and put Flat Stanley in front of them. What kind of pictures? What I don't know. Great Wall of China. Oh, no, that, something. Okay, Parthenon. Make little scenes. The North Pole. Solid plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He can be like on the raft and the end of Titanic. Just something funny, so he has something to write about because Stanley's not going far. I mean, we He's... did post him to Facebook to let friends and family download him and send him around. He did get a little mileage out of that, mm-hmm. but almost everyone else is stuck at home. Yep. Everybody lives around here, so. Yeah, well, and like a lot of the photos from around the homes around the country kind of look like Stanley's stuck at home somewhere else. That's okay. The paint's a little different. The uh, furniture's a little different, but he's stuck in a house. Mm-hmm. Poor Stanley. It's okay. He's used to it. Oh, so aside from virtual spring break that we're rolling into and everything, uh, how'd your week go? It was a long week. <sighs> interesting i guess as far as weeks in quarantine go we actually left the house i left the house with two of the kids they had a pediatrician appointment and we couldn't we couldn't skip it we needed to go to that one so we did that and we made started making some fabric masks to donate to people that need them for when they're wearing them out in public so maybe some of them will go to doctors and nurses maybe some will go to people that have to wear them because they still have to go to work every day but the kids really liked getting the sewing machine out with me and, and learning how to do that. Cool. I saw a few of them. They're really cute. You got some nice fabric. Yeah, I like the sharks the best. I also have some pretty stripes. Rainbow colored. It's fun. Do the kids start laying claims to who gets what? Uh, Let's see. I think kid number two saw the Dr. Seuss fabric and said, that's mine. That's for me. I want all of them. I'm shocked. I'm so shocked. No, I'm not. <laughs> How about uh, socially with adults? Well, I didn't see any. None of my friends. Because we're all in quarantine. I did go to the store and I picked up a couple things. 
for some of my friends, I noticed that uh, some really sort of uh, high demand items were being stocked back on the shelves and they were flour and Lysol. And I haven't seen Lysol in a store in about three weeks. So I quickly sent a text and I said, they're stocking flour and Lysol, who wants some? <laughs> and two of them said, I do. So I grabbed some for them and I grabbed some for me and then I left the store. Nice, any, I, any toilet paper? Uh, sadly, no, they were all out of toilet paper again. So no TP again. Um, we, I, I got to drive the groceries over to their house though. So that was exciting because I actually got to see people in person from six feet away. Wow. Yeah. But it was nice because you got to have like a face-to-face conversation without a computer screen in between. That was good. Nice. We've been doing a lot of the the online chats with my friends and it's it's a good it's a good way to spend the time and it's a good way to still get that social contact, but it's not the same. Yeah, we've had some of that going on amongst my hockey group. Uh, we're still using the Marco Polo, which is kind of annoying with the leaving messages for each other. So it's just dinging all the time. Uh, there's a few other apps. Um, House Party. Uh, it's kind of annoying because I keep getting alerts up. So-and-so's in the house. Like, good for them. I'm trying to get some work done. But it does actually help with the video chat. So it was working better than some of the other alternatives we were using. Not sponsored by Marco Polo or uh, House Party or Zoom or Google Hangouts or any of those other ones were just what we tried. But I've missed out on a few of the ones because it's like, I got stuff to do. I've got four kids. I have a wife. I can't just drop everything and do video chats all the time. So I feel bad because, you know, some of the individuals really, I think, they're missing that social time. I mean, we're all missing the social time. We're all missing hockey time. But uh they, you know, some more than others are coping better with all of this. And it seems like the more extroverted, the harder time they're having with this because they don't have that constant social interaction that they're used to. Yeah. Oh, it's sad. Uh, they actually had a social distancing happy hour this evening that I, funny. I didn't make it to. I went, I went for a bike ride and was pretty sore afterwards. And we, you know, we were doing our uh, virtual spring break, kicking that off uh, tonight too. So I was finished the bike ride and came home, and that's when we did the tequila shots, and which was good because my knee was bothering me. And I was like, "Sorry guys, I'm not going to make it." But it was in a driveway, uh, and they were all spaced uh, six to eight feet apart from each other. You know, you know, at least it's something. But yeah, it wasn't happening for for us tonight. Mm-hmm. But, you know, speaking of, you know, the bike ride and exercise, so excited that the weather was beautiful today. Not only did I go for a bike ride, I got to wear shorts and short sleeves, which is the first time since fall that I get to go uh, like that. Although the day after Christmas was oddly warm and I wore long sleeves and shorts. But since then, that's the last time I wore shorts on my bike. Uh, Went out, nice long ride, longest ride of the year. Uh, beautiful weather, uh, saw human beings, but from a great distance, didn't have to worry about them even sneezing. You in the wild. <laughs> I know. Didn't have to worry about them sneezing or coughing. Uh, passed a few uh, other cyclists out there who were going the other way, and we nodded and waved, but, you know, we're separated by the full width of the pavement. And um, just, yeah, great being out there because the rest of the week was treadmill. 
lovely, lovely treadmill as it rained outside and was windy and cold in that horrible 38 to 42 degree range, which is just miserable because, you know, we talked about it before. You can't wear your cold weather snow gear mm-hmm. and your your spring fall workout attire kind of really doesn't cut it or you're getting too bulked up or it cuts through and it's just, you know, even when you're out there, you're, the face is exposed and that hurts and your lungs hurt and it's just like, this sucks. Uh, so it was a welcome today that we were up in the, where were we in the sixties or did we hit 70? I think it actually hit 70. Oh, it's so beautiful. Uh, to the point where I was able to come home and sit on the front steps in the shade and was comfortable. Got to watch the girls out there doing sidewalk chalk. Our, uh, kid number one was out there with the tape measure and sidewalk chalk measuring off six foot lengths on the sidewalk to help our more elderly neighbors understand what six feet really is because they're having problems with that they are not observing social distancing no it's funny because like all the children in the neighborhood get it yeah even our three-year-old knows that she has to stay in our yard and can only yell across the yard at the little boys that live near us right next door and like i mean it's not like they're across the street they are right next door normally these kids just run and they're back and forth and now they understand like those kids can clearly identify the property line better than the adults can. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just standing uh, six feet on either side of the property line yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. Or my favorite was the little guy that came on his bike around the neighborhood, I think yesterday. And no, it was last week. And um, he he stopped across the street from our kids and from the little guys next door. And he said, Hi! I see you just shouting right across the street and our kids and the kids next door were shouting right back at him. And it was, it was pretty funny. My favorite was, uh, actually the, the little girls at the corner who, uh, and I don't know which one did it, but they were out doing sidewalk chalk and we've been out, uh, walking and running and biking. And we went by and amongst their artistic endeavors was, what was very clearly a pint glass with a beer. That's pretty amazing. And I just saw that and I went, you know, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> Kid, you are awesome. Because that's that's what some people need to see right now is a beer. And I'm not I'm not kidding. I'm so serious. It's like it, like there's hope for the world. Well, you know, you have to put sidewalk chalk out for the adults too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, kid number one loves to go out after it rains because it, it's a fresh canvas and put inspirational messages out on our driveway and our sidewalk. And it's also fun to watch the older neighbors go by and pull out their cell phone and start taking pictures of it and with a smile on their face. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. But no beers out of our kid yet. No martinis, no no cocktail glasses drawn <laughs> Maybe inside. After spring break, though, yeah. <laughs> there might be. Uh, we'll see how this, this virtual spring break uh, endeavor goes. Aside from that, the other big news for us in terms of getting our website up and running, getting our podcast episodes out there, website's almost done. Podcast episodes are starting to actually get published. The first four are up. This one will be up shortly thereafter. We just need um, for the members to join and put in their monthly dues. Uh, The payment feature on the website to take hold, and that'll be getting ready to go. So. I think the Red Air Challenge, we're going to kick it off on April 13th. Fingers crossed that uh, the billing software works. Uh, it's 10 bucks a month. 
to do that. And of course, the podcast remains free. Yay! And with that, on a happy note, let's roll into our main feature of the night, which is behavior-based coaching. cross-country coach. Yes, I am. All right. Did you run as a kid? I did. Both of my sisters were runners on track and cross-country, and I got to middle school and joined the cross-country team, and I ran uh, middle school cross-country and track and high school cross-country and track. Awesome. I was not the fastest by any means. No, but you went out there and did it. I went out there and did it. I didn't um, do it in high school and middle school. And honestly, the cross-country piece, when I was in school, the main reason I did it was just to get in shape for wrestling season. Ah. And so that I would be in good shape, not only for the actual wrestling, but also I could go run to lose weight during wrestling season. Awesome. Not so much. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's better than being a lump. Yeah. And just... Whatever the motivation was, uh, the coach was happy to have another body there. Nice. Okay. All right. So how did you end up becoming a track coach? Oh, that was, that was interesting because I, you know, finished cross country and the coach I had made me absolutely hate the sport and hate running. Uh, I had a series of track coaches. They were pretty cool. Uh, and I had fun doing that, but, um, when, it, when my high school career wrapped up, that was it. I was done running, and I definitely wasn't going running 5Ks and whatnot. And then I got too fat to do them anyway. And it really wasn't until my 30s that I started getting back into it. When we moved back to uh, Michigan and we enrolled the kids in the school that I went to, uh, we were here, what, six months? And the call went out, a call for help, like, hey, the track season starts in a week and the coach just quit. We need somebody right now. And I had a flexible schedule. So I reached out and said, I would love to give back. Uh, I got a lot out of this school. I ran track. I ran cross country. I know all the events except for pole vault. I can help out. But if you've got somebody who ran college track, College cross country, by all means, hire them. So I went in for an interview. There were two candidates. The uh, the assistant principal and athletic director said, "Okay, how would you do this?" And I had an entire package laid out, and it was behavior based coaching that I had designed. And said, that "If I was going to do it, this is how I would run a team. This is how I would do it." A few hours later, I said, "Great, you got the job. Uh, your kickoff meeting is in a few hours." <laughs> 
Nice. Uh, later found out that the other candidate was just going to show up and blow a whistle and point and yell, and that was his description of coaching. And I had this this vision, this package that I wanted to put in, which was very uh, very database, looking at logs and performance metrics and focusing on what can we fix and what can we work with and just constant improvements both at the individual and the group level. And that's really it's the same package that we're using now. It just took a little while to change the culture and get that turnover and the buy-in out of the kids. But once that happened, now, I mean, everyone's excited about it. Awesome. How were you received when you started as a track coach? Oh, most were uh, very polite about me being there. They're happy that there was a coach so they could continue to have a team. Uh, But I was very different from what had been there previously. What was there before? Well, there was a, a series of coaches. The one right before me was a also an alum, um, I think like 10 years younger than me, though, and was basically went for the approach of, I'm going to be the friend of the kids. Mm-hmm. And very much not how I, my approach to, I'm like, look, I'm not here to be the friends with like a 14-year-old. I have friends. They're adults. Yeah. Uh, some of them have 14-year-olds. <laughs> I'm here to be, I'm like really coming at it like a teacher, uh, tying into my you know professor background and want to share with these kids something. So what they had had was a series of coaches where and really you got to get that core group of kids that draw their friends and you get the numbers. And so the team had been in a good place for a while, but had been on the decline and then came in another coach who was the one right before me and really didn't she do much to build up the program. So the program was already starting to crumble. Uh, they had some very talented kids who were in the process of graduating, but really there was nothing behind it. And for whatever reason she left, there's all sorts of stories, but th- the thing is there was a vacancy. I came in. So it became time to work with the athletes who were there and also start rebuilding this program from at the middle school level to kind of bring it back to what it once was. And actually now we're trying to go to someplace we've never been before, but getting back to how I was received uh, for the most part, people were nice and they were polite, but when you show up and you're the fat, fat track coach and keep in mind, like I put up a photo on a throwback Thursday on our Instagram feed of my first season coaching. That was at the end of the season. And I'm a good 30, 40 pounds lighter than when we moved back to Michigan. I'm probably, uh, 10, 20 pounds lighter than the start of the track season. So when I started really, really heavy, it looked like I ate a track team versus <laughs> coaching a track team. Uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, respect definitely off the bat. Uh, they didn't really care about my academic background. They didn't really care about my experience with track. They were looking like, well, this guy doesn't look like he could high jump two feet, much less you know, six feet. It's like, look, I don't have to go jump the hurdles. I need to teach you how to go over the hurdles faster, more efficiently, with proper form so you don't get hurt. I need to teach you how to high jump. I don't need to go clear six feet. I get to stand there with a clipboard and watch you clear six feet, but I can show you how. So there was a little misgiving, like, really? How's this guy going to show us? They, you know, they weren't connecting to, um, I was fit and in shape when I was in high school and doing it. So the, the buy-in really wasn't there in terms of, I mean, there was a lot of judging the book by the cover. There was also, uh, this is a private school. It's a religious, it's a, it's a Catholic school. 
Uh, and some people are uh, more understanding. I did have a few uh, people turn up their nose. And while no one said anything openly directly to me, I got it through the kids. Uh, people a little bothered when we got warmer and I'm wearing shorts. And I do have a couple tattoos. And, and they're all, and my philosophy on it is, Put them in places where you can cover them up and hide them when you need to be professional. So when I need to wear a suit, you, you'll you never see them. But if I'm wearing shorts and it's hot out and, you know, look, you're not wearing shorts to a business meeting. So, But if I'm coaching track and I'm wearing running shorts and, you know, back then I was actually wearing like, I think the shorts I was looking at the picture. I'm like, I'm pretty sure those are size, waist size 46 or wow. 48 inch waist size shorts. But you know, you could see one of the tattoos on my on my leg, and I had some parents who were really just thought that's dirty, uneducated, just trashy, uh, and you could tell by the way they spoke to me once that became you know known that I had a tattoo on my ankle. Uh, the way they spoke to me was different. Weird. Well, to each their own, but that was part of the reception. So I, I'm I'm the fat tattooed. Uh, <laughs> Fat tattooed new track coach who, you know, it's couldn't he couldn't do much. But it was fun because occasionally we would work on things with technique and like uh we'd go out on training runs, conditioning runs, and have to go run up a hill and it's like, oh, don't let the fat coach beat you. And all of a sudden you got this fit in shape high schooler going, How is this fat guy passing me? Well, <laughs> one, we're not going very far because if we did, I'd probably die. Two, I understand technique, and because I ran cross country, I understand there's a certain technique you use when you go up a hill versus when you're just running on a flat surface. So I knew how to beat some of these kids up the hill. Now, the more experienced, the seniors, it was not going to beat them. One of the worst days was for some reason we we're doing parachute runs on the beach. Uh, and I decided to strap on a parachute and challenge one of the seniors, the, the uh, kid who had been to state before in the two mile mile. Nice. I'm like, all right, half mile run with a uh, parachute on. Yeah, horrible idea. One, I could not even run a half mile at that point. I think I made it about 200 meters. And he just <laughs> kind of like blew me out of the way. I'm like, yep, yeah, that's good. You got me. Uh, it was a rough reception off the bat. And it, no, again, no one was openly hostile. It was a lot of passive aggressive, a lot of looks, a lot of. Not really when I had an idea, not having a lot of support and buy-in. My assistant coach, I did have an assistant coach the first season, but uh, my assistant coach was always like very um, skeptical about anything I had to say. And it's just like, you know, I'd be telling the kids, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And like occasionally there would be a window or a mirror and I could like see her off to the side, but slightly behind me, like rolling her eyes or just shaking her head. And I'm like, that's not helping me send this message across. No. Yeah. That, you know, so that assistant coach didn't come back. The second year I had an assistant coach come in, which was a, a friend of mine who was in a, a rough spot and needed some extra income. Said, hey, why don't you come help me coach? You were a college tennis athlete. I can teach you about track. You understand about athletics and you can help me manage. But then ran into some rough spots with her parents. And, you know, when you have elderly parents, things come up. She was almost never there. So going forward after that, after that second season, it's like, all right, uh, I'll just coach this solo. Because pretty much that second season, I coached it solo all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's me. It's me with the team. We got 16 events, sprints, distance, hurdles, throwing, jumping, everything, everything except for pole vault. Because we didn't have pole vault when I was in high school. I coached that. I coached it alone. Boys and girls. And then have oversight over the uh, middle school program. 
Cool. So it's it's busy. Now, these days, the parents the parents have been pretty great. Uh, the buy-in out of the kids, like the kids are excited. Uh, I've got middle school kids who can't count, wait to come up and work with me. They'll stop me in the hallway in the gym and go, please don't leave. We want to we want to be on your team. The parents are pretty excited about the program. Uh, when I need help from parents, parents jump up and they're excited to be there. I get a lot of thank yous. So the reception is night and day compared to that first season when Fat Tattooed Coach showed up. Uh, still have the tattoos, not as fat anymore, but it's nice. And it's actually interesting as a psychologist to kind of go, well, you know, the way people perceive you and the way they respond to you. And even in the changes of some of the parents uh, over those first few seasons, it was interesting to watch when they started seeing, hey, this program actually works. This program is actually making sense. And it's actually, we're seeing traction. We're seeing what's going on and where this is headed. Awesome. You, you coach at a small school. Very small. Yeah. What special challenges does that present for track? All of them. <laughs> I mean, it's a, when I when I say small, like I thought it was small when I went there. How many kids did you graduate with? I graduated with fifty nine. We had like seventy or seventy five kids when I was a freshman, and we had fifty nine when I left and okay. when I graduated. And at that time, we were the smallest graduating class ever. Oh. Now the senior classes are like. 14 to 18 kids it is a tiny school they are their high school enrollment is now under 100 it's amazing uh it makes it a challenge that's a small pool so when you coach at a large high school you've got a large pool of students to pull from and you get to pull the cream of the crop or you're at least competing against the other uh, teams for it so there's a lot of kids there you have enough bodies and then you can kind of even have tryouts like hey who's going to be the starting or the top two or three 100-meter runners. With me, it's like, do I have enough bodies to put on the track? And actually, the answer is I've never had enough to fill all the events. We can come close, but then it's like, you're not really competing against anyone for an event till recently, and even then, I've got other events to put you in. There are so many other sports to compete with because at the high school I coach at, that again, is under 100 students. We have baseball, softball, girls tennis, girls soccer, and boys golf all going on in the spring. It's a lot of sports for not very many kids. The nice thing is if you want to play a sport, you can play a sport. They're going to get you on the team. And you're probably not going to ride the bench. You're going to get to play. So that is the benefit. The drawback is, as a coach, i got to get creative. So depending on what format we're going, if we're doing duels, double duels, jamboree formats, what have you, I got to think about that when I'm setting my lineups. If we're doing a duel against a school, I can move my runners around because a lot of them are they're pretty good general all-around athletes. Some specialize in one event or another event, but you know, they all know, at least on my team since I took over, uh, and that was something with the old coach where they could get away with doing only two events at a meet. Well, the max is four events, and I tell them, plan on doing four events because that's the only way we're going to hang with these other teams. So we go out there. They know they're going to do four events. And sometimes, like the 4x800 uh, relay, which is right at the beginning, uh, other people know it as the two-mile relay. We'll be out there, and I just want to score points. So I'm out there, and the the official's going, well, if you guys try it hard, you can go a little faster. You might get a PR. I'm like, slow down, jog. <laughs> just jog it just above a walk. Don't wear yourself out. you got three more events. I just want the points. 
Uh, and it's bizarre when you see that, but I can also slide people around. Like if I know uh, we can beat another team, we'll take them on head or head. And if we can't, I might just jump out of that event and throw all my runners in a different event where we can get the points. So there's a lot of chess matches. And then also with the other small schools we go against, we'll move around who we got and what meet because everything seems to just go online now with the electronic timing uh, and various websites we plug all the results into so they can see what I've been doing at other meets. And sometimes I'll put people in events uh, at a meet early in the season, one to low down, throw down uh, uh, set baseline times and in case I need qualifying times for later in the season, but also just to kind of throw off the other coaches of the really small schools to where am I going to put my guys? Well, they can go anywhere. So I'm going to keep you guessing on where I'm going to put them. But then again, some of the other ones are like that. The other coaches are like that. So I'm also wondering where are you going to put your guys? Some just always put their same kids in the same events every time, which to me is also kind of boring. They become very predictable. So they, uh, they're easy to set up against the other ones where they're constantly moving their kids around for you know what other re- whatever reason, whether their kid didn't show up or because they're also playing chess matches with the small school coaches. All right, it's on. And some of those coaches I'm actually really good friends with. And it's it's a game amongst the coaches. It's like, <laughs> it's a chess match. It's like, where are you going to move your pieces or move mine? Then, of course, let's get them on the track and see they are high school athletes. Who's going to have a good day or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of fun, uh, but a lot of thought and a lot of extra planning goes into that. So that's a challenge. Uh, another challenge is we don't actually have a track. We practice at the public high school two miles away. So the distance runners will run there to warm up, and then we have our practices there. But like last season, they had some structural integrity issues with the actual track, and that's not some uh, implied thing about school. School is great. They uh, have a good rapport with their head coach, but we went out there for the first practice. He comes running out like, you can't practice here. I'm like, what do you mean? We've practiced here for decades. He's like, no, no. He's like, we can't practice on our own track either. The backside's falling apart. Uh, it's been condemned, and for liability reasons, no one's allowed on the track. So uh, he had to take his team over to their middle school in practice, and we actually went over to a uh, another uh, high school a little bit further away, not much, and practice over there, which also had some you know challenges because not all the parents were on board, given that the, that high school had more of a uh, reputation, whether fairly unfairly given had a reputation for more crime and being a little bit more dangerous neighborhood, which honestly their track is behind their school surrounded by a swamp on one side. And the kids that are from their school who are on the track are just like our kids. They're kids who just want to run in circles. Yeah. Uh, and they were great kids and we had a great experience. We had no issues while we were there, but you know, that was a challenge trying to convince parents, like, I have not lost my mind by going here. It's like, look, we either we're going to go run around the school parking lot at our high school or we're going to go there. Uh, also, another challenge is the equipment. The equipment's old, when small school, small budgets. So the shot puts and discs we're throwing, we're starting to get some new ones in, but a lot of them were around when I was in high school or around when my older siblings were in high school. We do have a set of hurdles we inherited from the local community college when they ended their program around 1982. They are actual, the crossbar is actually wood. Wow. Yeah. So occasionally when it's uh, really cold and the public high school hasn't put out their hurdles yet because they're practicing on their indoor field house, we'll pull our wooden hurdles out into the street around a sidewalk or in a parking lot and measure it off and practice out there. Fantastic. But the kids are always amazed because they're like the only time they ever see wooden hurdles 
or when we pull out our hurdles, you know, whatever. Uh, we make the most of it. In a nutshell, what is your coaching philosophy? My job as a coach is to bring out the best in each of my athletes. I want them, number one, to have fun because this is a tiny school. The odds of they're going on to a, a you know, full-ride scholarship at a Division I school in track field is pretty slim. Uh, it will be very, very, very rare. It's possible, but very rare in the long shot for that to happen. And even if they do, while there are professional track and field athletes out there, the odds that they'll then continue on to that, almost zero. So they better have fun because that's why we're here is really to have fun. Uh, number two, I want them to learn. I want them to learn about the sport. I want to come away with a lot of other skills out of this. And number three, be safe. Learn the proper technique. It's no fun to be hurt all the time. I don't want these kids getting injured. So learn the proper technique and the proper procedure so you can have fun, you can learn something new, and then obviously be safe along the way. When these kids complete their time with me, I want them to move on with an appreciation for the sport and a lifelong love of running and or fitness. Uh, I want them, when the Olympics roll around every four years, I want them to kind of tune in and actually, you know, pay attention to what's going on in track and field and going, oh, yeah, I remember this or I understand how this event goes uh, and really understand kind of what are the rules, what are the ins and outs of the event. They don't need to be glued to the international track and field results or the Olympic channel on cable all the time. But, hey, once every four years, know a little bit about the sport and kind of appreciate what all these other people do. But more importantly, I don't want them to be like me, where I finished high school and I did nothing for about a decade and just get become a fat blob. Learn to love running and fitness. Use that outlet to burn off stress. Don't just go and binge eat like I did. Don't go through a bag of Chips Ahoy when you're having a rough day in college. Go for a run. Go play racquetball. Go play tennis. Go do something. Burn off energy. Burn off that frustration. Exhaust yourself to the point where you can just go to bed and sleep. It's a healthier outlet. And then I also want them to pick up some life skills in addition to just being able to have that outlet. And that gets into some of the things we do with this behavior-based approach of looking at the behaviors, breaking it down, taking data on it, and then figuring out what to change. All of the runners have to keep a performance log. They have to graph their performance. They log what they do every day. And at first, there was a lot of kickback on that because they're like, I don't want to do schoolwork, coach. I just want to go run in circles. Yeah, as we went on through the years and kids have gone off to college, they've started to come back and go like, look, I'm using the things you taught me. And I've created a log for myself now. I log my exercise every day. I log my studying habits. I've got a log for everything. And I'm just like, you know, I've taught you self-management. You've built a program for yourself. It's full of data. Uh, and some of these like, I I one of my proudest moments is I had a kid on the team once who, in addition to the things and the metrics I had him tracking, he went back and looked at video through his entire career as a hurdler. And he went and he watched every video and he correlated the time that he finished with, with the number of hurdles he kicked nice. <laughs> or hit. And he found that, let's say like in a 300 meter um, hurdles, there's eight hurdles. He found that his fastest times didn't come when he cleared all eight. It was this magic window of he could hit here. He could clear six or seven. 
But if he cleared all eight, he was being too safe, too conservative, and he ended up having a slower time. And if he hit, if he hit more than three, which meant like he was only clearing five or less, he was having too rough of a go, and he's losing too much time <laughs> ramming into things or had fallen. So the magic window was he needed to mess up, or he needed to hit. He needed to hit one or two hurdles, and he'd be flying because he was cutting close every time. That's something he came up with on his own. Using the techniques I had taught him, it just that made me so proud. Just like when I had another student come back who had hated logs. He was usually the last one to turn it in. He actually kept three logs in his car, three versions of it, because he'd always lose it and you had to get them signed off every week that you were keeping that up to date. He comes back and he's like, you know what? I've created logs for myself. I'm preparing for a half, half marathon. This is also a kid who kind of hated running and was always coming up with like different track and field events. I want to try long jump. I want to be a hurdler, anything to get out of distance. Cause he was also one of my cross country runners just to run less. And now he want, wanted to go run a half marathon and was training and he was using it also as an outlet to burn off stress while he was at college. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, those kind of life skills, how to collect data, how to analyze data uh, and how to apply it to real life. Of things I want these kids to have. Okay, if I was a new runner on one of your teams, what would be my first indication that this is going to be a different than other sports experience? Well, right off the bat, before you even show up on day one, you're going to sign up online on a digital form. And then I'm going to use that and send out the team syllabus. And no other team at the school I coach at has a team syllabus. No other team I've ever been on has a team syllabus. I took a syllabus from a class I taught at the college level and revamped it for track and field. And it has all the policies I have and how we're going to do everything. And it lays out the schedule, but it also lays out, you know, what are the standards and it describes the sport. So you come in and either you understand the, the sport of track and field or you just don't know that it's running. It explains everything. It explains the point system. It's all there. It's all laid out. My weather policies, my travel policies everything's right there. So it's really organized and it's really different. It's like 20 to 30 pages. And so I get teased about that all the time, but there's this old adage among professors where it's, and it's similar to one you may have heard, but it's a little different. It's fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. It's going in the syllabus. <laughs> so when it first came out, it was like eight pages and the kids laugh now because they, they know that if there's something in the syllabus, and it's kind of like, why is that there? It's kind of like when you see the warning labels on different products, like what happened that they had to put that on there? Same thing with the syllabus. So like, all right, what went down? The coach put that in the syllabus. That's now a rule. Like, you got to be 21 to sign somebody out. Like, yes, because your 19-year-old boyfriend cannot sign you out of the track meet. That's hysterical. <laughs> oh, First year track coach problems. Definitely. But, you know, looking at all of it, it gets back to how I coach differently. And I've been on the local sports radio a few times. And you know, the, the guy that hosts it is a uh, is an alum of the same school. And he's been doing sports radio his, his whole career. And he'll often ask me, um, because we've done this a few times, do you coach like your old coach? And he'll say coach X, whether we're talking about track or cross country at the time. And the answer is always no. That's not really where I draw from in my coaching because with track, you know, he was he was a pretty cool 
guy and he was well, you know, he had a plan for organizing stuff, but that I didn't really get all in on track in terms of, boy, I want to be fit. And I, I just came away with like, I understand the sport. I understand the techniques and I finished high school and I'm like, that's it. Cross country. I absolutely hate. It. And I, I don't coach really like either one of those coaches. That's just not me. I'm a behavior guy. I'm a behavior analyst. I'm a behavioral psychologist. I actually coach more kin to my doctoral advisor who is not a sports guy no. at all. Closest he comes to it is he uh, likes to train his dog and do agility and obedience and all sorts of um, challenges like that in competitions, which is still kind of athletic for the dog and actually for him too. But my coaching looks more like that systematic approach. Like, let's look at the behavior. Let's observe it. Let's measure it. And then let's make changes. And then let's look at the data to see if the changes are making the outcome we want, and we'll go from there. A lot of video feedback in the early years. Uh, and even now, I still, you know, all the kids have cell phones. Like, video each other. Look at that. Train the kids. While you're standing on your teammates' blocks, give them feedback. Are they pushing off? Are they stepping out correctly as they come out of the blocks? Let's use that feedback. Let's use the data. Not just what's your finish, but let's break down the splits. When you're running laps, let's get half lap times. Let's get quarter lap times. Uh, let's put on the GPS watches and the activity trackers. A lot of them give you a heat signature on where your slowest part is. That's awesome. So we'll go look at that. Okay, where's the slowest part of your race? All right, let's focus on that and let's improve there. Because we have such a short season that I don't have time to fix everything. And not when I'm the one coach with the entire team, with all the events and all the athletes. And I know wow. It's a little tongue-in-cheek to see all the athletes because we're only talking about 10 or 20 kids here. But 10 or 20 kids who do four events each, it's a lot, and I'm squeezing it into roughly 10 weeks. It's uh, not a lot of time to make improvement. So I really need to pinpoint down where the areas we can make the most improvement with the least effort and get those results going so we can get these kids to be at their best. If we can get them to state, medal the state, great. If not, can we medal at regionals? If not, can we at least get personal records and season bests? Is there anything else that they encounter early on that is a little bit different? Well, there's the performance logs, which I pointed out, because I'm the only team that does that. And at this school, uh, you know, not only do they have to do these performance logs where they track and they say what they did every day and how they felt, there's even a little smiley face and frowny face. You know, <laughs> how are you feeling? Uh, which is great. It helps me because a lot of these kids are dual sport athletes. School's so small, some of the kids are on more than one team. And I can't say, nope, you got to do my team only because the, the school ceases to function then. We need these kids doing both. So to keep track of who's doing what and when and where, and you know, maybe they have music lessons or robotics that they go to and they have to do around on their own so they can track it. They log it. So it helps me, but it also helps them track what they're doing. When we compete, they keep data there. Practices, depending on what we're doing, they've got to track what they're doing. If they're throwing, doing practice throws or whatnot, they're tracking all of that. When we go to the weight room and we do our weight circuits, Everything's got a data sheet. It speeds things up because the kids know how many reps they did last time we were in there at what weight for the set stations. So when we're going around the weight circuit, it's like, what did I do last time? Oh, yeah, it's on the sheet of paper right in front of me. And then I'm going to write down what I did this time. 
all of that, just that whole methodology of we're going to take data, we're going to record it, we're going to make decisions off of data, completely different than all the other teams. And, you know, early on, they're like, even the athletic director or the original athletic director that hired me, it's like, I can't believe the kids are buying into it, but they're buying into it. So keep doing what you're doing. And we've had parents going, wow, we need to like replicate this and franchise this. And it's like, yeah, you do. How are you going to replicate me? (laughs) There's not a lot of behavioral psychologists who are willing to go coach high school track or high school baseball or high school, whatever, at a small school and tailor this program to each sport. If there are great, more power to them. Uh, but the odds to try to replicate this across all the athletic teams at this school, unlikely. And I've also had someone like, well, you could go do it in all of them. I'm like, look, I mean, I only have so many hours in the day. I mean, we're, no one coaches for the money. We're basically donating our time. Uh, so to say, oh, yeah, and go revamp the entire sports program, it's like, oh, my God, my wife would divorce me because she'd never see me. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did that first season turn out? I mean, I'm still the coach, so <laughs> they didn't fire me. Uh, no, the kids bought in. Uh, it went pretty well. Uh, that season, we had uh, 10 kids on the team. Four of them qualified for state in five events. Out of those five events, only one was a kid returning to state for an event they had done before. The other four, it was first-time things. The one kid who had been to state the year before, and she had gone for a long jump, that first year I was coaching, we went to a state with her in long jump and high jump. All the other kids, uh, one of them had gone on a relay team before, and then he got to go w- with us, uh, with my first season, went uh, in hurdles. Uh, we have a sprinter go, and we had a um, middle distance runner who had previously been there on a relay team, but went on her own right in an individual event. Since then, and this, and it's a little bittersweet because today the state just announced that they're because of COVID nineteen, the Rona, the Rona strikes again. Uh, they're canceling the rest of the track season effective today. There will be no state finals this year. This was my uh, sixth track season. So in the previous five seasons, three of those five seasons, uh, I took kids to state. Wow, that's pretty awesome. It is. It's it's fun, uh, and I always love when I talk to the team, the coaches at the bigger schools. It's like you know, after our regional meets, because all the the same weekend, all the different schools have their regional meets, and we're comparing notes. How many kids did you qualify? How many kids did you qualify? And when the big public schools nearby are talking about, they got one or two kids to go to state, and I'm like, yeah, I got four off a team That's of ten. Great. Um, and we're in a smaller division, and it's not as competitive, but it's still pretty competitive. And it's just, yeah, my chest puffs out, which was more obvious before when, like, my gut was much larger, too, and the whole thing was puffed out. Uh, I feel a lot of pride. Part of this is parents are always quick to go, well, good job, coach, good job. But at the end of the day, it's the kids out there who have to run, who actually have to perform and respond to the training. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I was – proud to get to work with those kids and go with them to state and watch them go and have those experiences as a high schooler. Awesome. All right. We're going to do a lightning round. So I'm going to ask you something and you're going to give me a fast response to these questions. Ready? Yes. More physically demanding on coach track or cross country track more time consuming to coach track or cross country track. 
More challenging to coach track or cross country. Track. More fun to coach track or cross country. Cross country. More exciting to coach track or cross country. Track. Which did you enjoy more of as a high school runner, track or cross country? Track. Favorite track meet to coach at each year? Regionals. Favorite cross country meet to coach at each year? Ooh, the Portage Invite, one of the biggest in the Midwest. Nice. Better food, track or cross country? Cross country. More cohesive team, track or cross country? Usually cross country. Awesome. Team shirts, better designs, track or cross country? The cross country kids actually usually come up with better t-shirts. More high strung or high maintenance parents, track or cross country? Oh, track. There's a lot of dreams of greatness on the track squad for some reason. Amazing. That that are a little unjustified, but yeah. More preseason planning by coach, track or cross country? Cross country. Which sport is more misunderstood by outsiders, track or cross country? Track. Which track event is the hardest mentally? The 3200 or the two mile. Which track event is the hardest physically? The 400 meter dash, that quarter mile sprint. Which track event is the hardest to teach? Discus takes eye-hand coordination. You have to be able to spin without getting dizzy. Uh, and, you know, the kids who are best at it are the dancers and ballerinas. And most of them can't handle a discus. Awesome. Which track event is the easiest to teach? Relays. If they already know how to run, they just have to hand off a stick. If you could only coach one, what would it be? Track or cross country? Cross country, actually. Last one. If you could introduce a new track event, what would it be? Can I create any track event I want? Anyone you want. I'd love to insert triathlon. That would be amazing. If they dug a pool in the center of those football fields, you don't need a football field. That sport's in rough shape right now. Mm-hmm. The numbers are going down. Put a pool out there. Triathlon. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> I'd do it. That'd be great. All right. So for the people listening, if they wanted to try and do some behavior-based coaching... What are the main takeaways? I think the biggest takeaways are uh, you've got to look at behaviors. Pinpoint the most important behaviors for each event. And don't don't just look at finish time, but what are a few techniques? What are a few things? Uh, For sprinters, it's usually that first 10 meters. Look at the behavior of coming out of the blocks. Focus on that. Once they have that down, you can work on the form of sprinting when you're coming up to strike. Same with hurdles. Break it down. Look at those behaviors. But break break down the whole race. Find some behaviors you can pinpoint to work on. Then take, make sure you can measure it. It's not just a perception thing. Get some hard data on it and then intervene upon it and go back and look at, did it make a difference in the data? Better, worse? If not, then... All right, back to the drawing board. What can we tweak some more? It's a lot of trial and error in terms of tweaking and then seeing what the results are on the data. Sounds good. For hurdlers, I would definitely say get an app. I've got an app for measuring that allows me to do intervals between hurdles, which allows me to break it down quite a bit. So for the highest hurdlers, there's 10 hurdles. Instead of looking at how they did from the starting line to the finish line, now I can look at every hurdle and what's different. And there's a lot of video to correspond to why was hurdle six? Why was that one a little off? Oh, you're a little high. Why was hurdle seven off? Well, you kicked one. 
and we can break it down and say, what do we need to fix? Oh, your trail leg is a little bit low. That's what's hooking every single time. Look at those behaviors and how can we change those things? Great. So that's, yeah, that, that's your takeaway for behavior-based coaching. Look at those, uh, look at data, data, data. Have a data collection system and then make decisions based on that data. Awesome. Well, this has been fun. Lots of fun. You know, we got to talk about track. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of track. There's also cross country and there's also <laughs> our races and we got lots of other things to talk about and that just kind of scratched the surface on behavior-based coaching. So we might even be able to circle back on this. I think we should definitely get into it for your cross country team. I think we should definitely talk about some you more. Some really fun things. Coaching stories too. We yeah. need to get into some of the challenges that, you know, Coaching, forget coaching with the kids. Coaching with the parents can get interesting at times, too. So we'll have to save those stories for another time. Sounds good. All right. Well, sweetie, it's been fun. Loads. All right. I hope everyone joins us for our next uh, podcast coming up soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.